Thanks for joining us on this week's Real Life Church podcast. We'd love to know if God is using this ministry to bless you in some way. And if you'd like to share your story or know more about getting involved at Real Life Church, you can visit us on our website at livereallife.com today. Today is a back to school prayer. Thank God for the rain. Amen. The grass needs it. But we wanted to be outside. So after service, we're just going to have food out here. Go out, grab some food, hang out in the gym, spend some time together. Um, And so that's how we're going to have to roll today, just because of the weather. And so anyway, we're so glad that you're with us. We're going to pray over our kids today, teachers, administrators, um, anybody going back to school. Uh, we want to pray for you today. Whew, man, hold on, I got to catch my breath. I'm excited. I'm, I'm, woo, I'm excited this morning. Ooh, that was a good song, wasn't it? Come on, somebody. Woo! I don't know about you, but I'm excited today. God's good. It's good to be alive. It's good to be on this side of the turf. Come on, somebody. We're going to continue our series today on the next generation. And uh, I was going to do one week, and now it's turned into two. And then I'm going to do a third week. I got a third week that I feel like the Lord wants me to share. And this week, we're going to, last week we talked about fighting for the next generation. That they want us to fight for them. And this week, I'm going to talk to you about influencing them, the next generation. And then next week, I'm going to talk to you about how we're going to empower them. How many know that they don't have to wait to be empowered? Come on, the next generation doesn't have to wait till they're old and crusty to walk in their purpose. They can walk in it right now. Amen. Didn't Elise do such a great job this morning? Come on. Amen. They can walk in their purpose right now. They can walk in their purpose right now. And so uh, we determined last week that um, Gen Z, who we're really talking about, was born between 1995 and 2015. And there's currently, I'm just going to review for those of you that were uh, at the lake last week. Amen. The lake's good. I like to fish. I'm, I love the fish. But uh, uh, Gen, uh, Generation Z was born from 1995 to 2015, and they're currently ages 7 to 27. And uh, this actually makes up 75 million Americans. So as you think about uh, the, the next generation, a lot of people have a really bad opinion about them. A lot of people have a real bad uh, spoken word over them, and they've declared things over this next generation, and they've said things, and, and there are some stuff, there's stuff happens in every generation. And uh, the thing about this next generation is that the, the thing that bothers me the most, and the reason I'm sharing about it, and the reason I'm not just doing another series to um, just kind of, you know, tickle your ears a little bit, But this is a series that I want to encourage us as the whole church that we are going to wrap our arms strategically around the next generation. We're going to be a next generation church. We're not going to be a church that just lasts for 15, 20 years and then shuts its doors because we couldn't stay relevant. We couldn't couldn't raise up the next generation. We couldn't speak into their life. Listen to me today. We're going to be a church that's going to transfer everything God's done in our life to the next generation. And so I want you to know that, that, that this next generation, I think the, the biggest concern with the next generation is that two out of three of the 74 million are leaving church or have already left church. Now, there's, there's a lot of controversy around this because they've left organized religion, but a lot of them will tell you they still love Jesus, They've had problems with the organized religious church, 
and, and, and because the church just doesn't speak to them. The church doesn't value them. The, the church doesn't pull them in and, and see because, because a lot of times, and, and, and I'm going to say some things today. You know, when you're 40 and over and you come to church and you have the mentality that it's about you, we're missing some stuff. Because the bulk of this, the bulk of society is between the ages of 7 and 27. The sweet spot right now, 71% of people that say yes to Jesus in the United States of America, 71%, 14 years old, 14 years old, 71%. But most churches take all their dollars and their leadership and they put it towards 15% of population. When you start getting up in age, the, the, the le, the, everybody's important, but less likely to say yes to Christ as you grow older. And, uh, and so I want you to understand something. There is a sweet spot, and, and the next generation, I want them to know today, I value you. You're important to us. And I don't want you to ever feel like you come into this church and it's just for a bunch of old fuddy-duddies. Come on, somebody. He's like, <laughs> some of you are like, is he talking about us, Ethel, or are we old fuddy-duddies? No. No, we're going to be a church that's going to embrace the next generation. This generation, though, that twice, they are twice as likely as any other generation to become atheist. 3% of this next generation read their Bible. 3%. And we know that 2020 damaged this generation. The isolation that this generation experienced, the next generation experienced, was devastating. And for them to have to dis, dislodge from society, for them to have to go into isolation, they're stuck on their phones, they're on screens for school, they're isolated from social activities, they've had their proms canceled, they've had uh, sports canceled, church was put online, and this next generation experienced something. And you say, well, we made it through. Psycho Listen to me, we're not talking about you. We're talking about the damage psychologically of what it did to the next generation that's the generation that we want to push into to influence that's the generation that we want to wrap our arms around in order for them to be rescued and i declared this last week people keep saying we have a problem but i would like to say today we have an opportunity it's not a problem it's an opportunity and God is raising up our church, and I believe this is something that God has placed really strong on my heart, is the next generation. And I'm praying, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14, that the spirit of Nehemiah would come upon real life church. The spirit of Nehemiah, some of you may not know who the Nehemiah is. He was the guy that, that um, he rebuilt the walls in Jerusalem. You read Nehemiah, the book. And uh, he rebuilt the walls. He had a burden to rebuild the walls. Um, of, of a nation which really represented rebuilding lives. And he went in with a sword and a trowel and, and a group of people and rebuilt the walls. There was a burden that was put on him. But listen in Nehemiah 4.14 for this series verse is this. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families. If you're a dad in the room, I'm going to encourage you today. Fight for your family. 
Fight for your family in a way you have to understand today, dads, that the enemy is secretly opening and going through open doors to try to capture the mind of your children. Right, Pastor, that's kind of scary. It's reality. There is an enemy, and you can read verse after verse after verse in the scripture where the kings that were evil tried to cut off the next generation. I mean, trying to find Jesus, they destroyed all the boys. Kill all the boys so we can, maybe we'll end up killing the Messiah. You know, the whole Old Testament about sacrifice. There was whole, whole tribes and whole demonic activity that took place in the Old Testament where they sacrificed their firstborn. You're thinking, well, that's the craziest thing ever. Now, we might not sacrifice them on the altar, but we'll sacrifice them on the altar of culture. We'll sacrifice them on the altar of the internet and, 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 and phones, and we'll, we'll, we'll sacrifice them on the, the, the altar of culture. Now, now, I'm not saying don't use the phone. Now, don't, hear, don't, don't add into what I'm not saying, all right? I'm not saying you don't use the phone. I'm not saying you don't use an iPad. I got one right here. What I am saying, though, is balance. Watch the balance because there's things that's happening in our culture that's trying to sneak in. And he says this. He says, fight for your families, and he tells you who to fight for, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes, in other words, this generation wants us to fight for them. But here's what I want to bring to you today as, a, as part two, is we're not the only ones fighting for them. We're not the only ones fighting for 74 million young people. There is an enemy that is fighting to destroy a generation. And at some point, I might not be able to touch the whole world, but I can touch my world. Come on, somebody. I might not be able to touch the whole world, but I can touch my world. I can touch the region of Southwest Ohio with something brand new of a move of the Holy Spirit that's going to touch the next generation, that's going to transform and raise up the next generation. And so what I want you to hear today is we're not the only ones fighting for them, but if we default to no, um, if we de de are, if, if, so if we default to no passionate activity to rescue them from the enemy, the enemy will continue to win a generation. If we sit back and just, oh, well, I just got to figure my life out and then I'll figure the rest out, no. If we default, the enemy is always at work to destroy a generation. This is an all-church message. This is not our student life workers. This is not a, a parental message. This is not for our, our kids' life workers. And this, is, this is for the whole church that we all have to think next generation. A guy from, a, uh, it's an older quote, but Bob Pittman from MTV, here's what he said. He said, if you can get their emotions, talking about the next generations, if you can get their emotions going, make them forget their logic, you've got them. At MTV, we don't shoot for the 14-year-olds, we own them. That's said by multiple cultural uh, um, um, TV stations. Uh, uh, all the sorts of things that's coming against our kids, listen to me today, is that there is an enemy that's loose and he's using people in culture to, listen to what he says, he says we own them. Now I don't know about you, I don't want MTV and iTunes and the latest fad owning my children. Or anybody else's. 
How dare them say that? What's he saying? It's demonically inspired that we own the next generation. Listen to what Adolf Hitler said. He alone who owns the youth gains the future. Why doesn't the church get that? Adolf Hitler understood it. Most, most, uh, most denominations and religion, not denominations, religions get this. I mean, if you're going to be, um, uh, if you're going to be Islamic, you're going to have to learn the book of Islam. By the time you're 18, you're digesting that thing. Here's the point. Is Christianity is the only religion that slacks in standard that allows the next generation to be raised up to be disciples of Jesus. If we own the youth, we gain the future. Here's the question. How do we influence the next generation? Society is influencing them. How do we influence them? What are we going to do? Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It's a great passage. This is Jesus' baptism. And I saw something in this passage. One of our staff members brought it up during staff meeting. And I saw something in this passage. And I want, I want to share with you that I feel like the four words that's going to allow us to influence the next generation. It's just four words. Look at your neighbor and say four. Look at your other neighbor, which was your second choice, and say four. There's only four words, and we can all say it, but not just say it. This is something we're going to have to live if we're going to influence the next generation. He says this in Mark chapter 1. He says, At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Now Jesus is being baptized. Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And verse 11 says, And a voice came from heaven. His heavenly Father began to speak. Now see, this is generational. It's a father speaking to a son. It's generational. Listen to what he says. He says, You are my son whom I love with you, I am well pleased. He hasn't even done nothing yet. He says, listen, you are my son in whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Here's the four greatest words to influence this next generation. It's found in verse 11. You are my son whom I love. With whom, with you, I am well pleased. Here's the four words the next generation needs to hear if we are going to influence them. I believe in you. That's what Heavenly Father was saying to his son. He was telling him how proud of him he was. He was telling him about, about how this is my son. He identified with his father. You are my son. You're not, you're not anybody else's. You're mine. You are a son and daughter of God. And here's what I believe that the next generation needs to hear from a generation that's in front of them. Instead of they're not going to make it, you need to start saying, I believe in you. You need to start saying things that you hear from heaven that God says about the next generation. If you can't say nothing nice, shut her down. I believe in you. You're like, well, that's just, that's, that's, that's really just... That's just talk. Listen to me for just a minute. Over the years working with young people, I've seen some of the worst behavior, behaved young people 
working in corrections, working in the public schools, doing mentoring programs. And that's who I wanted. I wanted kids that they were getting ready to kick out of the system. They, they didn't want them in school anymore. They were causing too much problems and those sorts of things. But when I invested my time by simply saying, I believe in you, and then my actions backed up that I believed in them, all of a sudden their hearts softened and they started to change. Their life started to change. Because not only did I say it, and listen, when I say I believe in you, I'm, here's what I'm saying. I see something you don't see yet. I see something in you that you don't see yet. He was telling Jesus, I believe in you. A father telling his son generationally, I believe in you. I'm proud of you. I love you. You are my son. In other words, he was encouraging his son. By saying, I believe in you. Now think about this for just a minute. Out of this moment comes another moment. And every kid will go through it. Every adult goes through it. I believe in you is what his father told him. And then the very, in the following verses, Jesus is inter- introduced to a second voice. In Mark chapter, if you read Mark chapter 9, if you read uh, Mark chapter 1, He's introduced to his father's voice at baptism, and then just a few verses later, Satan's voice enters in, and Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days. Now, I believe that the affirmation that Jesus received from his father of knowing how much he believed in him, come on, son. He was able to go through 40 days in the wilderness overcoming temptation of the enemy because he knew his daddy believed in him. Let me tell you something today. A generation will fight through the battles. They'll work through the stuff if they know somebody's got their back, if they know somebody believes in them, if they know somebody's going to push them and say, listen, I believe in you, baby. Just keep going. You're going to make it. Listen to this one. If Jesus needed, how much more? Does this next generation need it? So here, 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 Jesus, Jesus, come, listen. He, he goes through the wilderness, and he comes out of the wilderness hearing, I believe in you. He goes, and out of the, listen, then he goes into assignment. He goes from, uh, I believe in you, to the, Satan's voice and overcoming, to ministry. He goes to his assignment next. He's walking along the seashore, and there's them disciples. They weren't the sharpest knife in the tool shed, just so y'all know that either. They weren't very bright. They they weren't culturally relevant. They weren't somebody that a rabbi would pick. A rabbi during those days used to pick the best of the best out of the university. Jesus chose the underdog. He chose young people, the oldest disciple. When you hear the word disciple, everybody thinks it's an old group of people. Sit around and pray for each other. The disciple, the oldest disciple was 19 years old. Jesus was the first youth pastor. Amen. He was the first student ministry leader. That's why I love him so much. He loved young people. He he spent time with young people, a disciple. In other words, the disciples were not 50. The disciples were teenagers. In other words, Jesus was trying to communicate to us that these young people don't have to wait till they're 40. They can do it now. And so all of a sudden he goes and he gets these 12 guys together and he tells them, I believe in you, you follow me, 
and you'll change the world. Now think about this. Just one character named Simon. This cat was a fisherman. He was hardcore. He was a sanguine. I mean, he cut people's ears off with machetes. But he was the crazy one that walked on the water. He was the oldest of the disciples, and he was like, hey, Jesus, you out there on the water? Bid me to come on out there, bro. I'm coming on out on the water. And here he comes. Nobody told him different. He goes out there on the water, walking in the water. Now he starts to sink. This is where we get critical. Well, she should have never been out on the water. It's easy to stay in the boat and say you should have never been on the water. All the haters are in the boat. Peter's the only one that stepped out of the boat. Peter's also the one that was, was at the fire with the, with the children's church kids and denying Jesus at the fire with other young people. People's like, hey, don't you, don't, ain't you one of his disciples? Nah, uh-uh, with me. No, no, you were with him. No, it wasn't me, man. Nah, somebody else. Finally, three times into that, the Bible says that the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered what Jesus told him. said, you'll try, deny me three times. Now think about this. There's something inside of Peter that he heard along his journey with Jesus, and it was, I believe in you. Even though through his failure, he said, I believe in you. So if we're going to reach into the next generation, we have to understand. So after the resurrection, this is crazy. After the resurrection, he looks at the 11 because Judas, he done done tripped. Judas, and so he says to these 11 dudes, he says, I believe in you. Now here's your assignment. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I believe in you, and then I believe in you so much that I'm going to take the precious Holy Spirit And when you're in the upper room, I'm going to put the Holy Spirit on the inside of you so it's not your power and not your ability and your personality, but it's going to be the Holy Spirit that's going to come upon you and you're going to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the earth. He's talking to young people. He's saying, go to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And all of a sudden, they grab a hold of this assignment and they begin to change the world. They start to declare, I was dead, but now I'm alive And if anyone believes in me will not perish but have eternal life, you 11 can change the world. I believe in you. That's the power of influence. 1 Corinthians says this, and this is a challenging verse to me. It's a challenging verse to you as a parent and a grandparent. Listen to this verse. This is what Paul told Timothy. He said, follow my example. Can your kids say that to you? Can you say that to your kids? Follow my example. Listen to me, but he qualifies, now we're not perfect, he qualifies what he's doing. He says, as I follow the example of Christ. As you follow the example of Christ, ask them to follow you. So the question becomes, how well are you following Jesus? Because whatever you're doing now will be transferred into next at some point. You will reproduce yourself into next. So the question becomes, what are you reproducing in next? Are you producing laziness, spiritual apathy? Are you producing kids that are just, they're they're focused on success but not significance? What are you producing? That's all determined by what you're racing after. Got quiet in here. So, there's three things I think about this next generation we need to be aware of. There's three generational temptations that I think this next generation is facing. And there's three of them. The first one is this, 
is this next generation is tempted to, to feel entitled. Now, before you freak out about that, oh, yeah, that's right, they're just entitled, they're just entitled. Well, part of the problem is it's not their fault they're entitled. The reason they're entitled is because they were raised, or you was raised, and I'll talk to you young people for a minute, is you were raised to get whatever you wanted. If you cried long enough, and then you throw in, you don't love me, you don't love me, you don't love me, I'm going to grandma's, you know? Here's the point is that, that we have created that. They've complained long enough until they get what they wanted. And we created an entitlement spirit in them, but then we criticize the spirit that we put in them. Listen, folks. What, how do they say it? The oak tree, the, 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 the oak. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So they're tempted with this entitlement. Listen, 25-year-olds today who think they can live the standard of their parents who are 55-year-old, so what they do at 25 is they accumulate a lot of debt just to try to live like their parents do at 55 years old when they're 25, so they get a lot of debt so they can keep up with the Joneses. They keep up with their parents, but they don't realize that their parents sacrificed so much to get to the place that they are. They just want it handed to them. This is a temptation of the next generation. This, and I believe this has produced an indulgent view of God. We're into generosity, but I think we've created at some point in our life, this next generation, that it's created this indulgent view of God or that he's overly generous. I can just get what I want when I want from God as long as I can just ask him for it. And I, I, was, I was praying last night, and I just felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you, he's not going to answer every one of your prayers. Pastor Ed, that's kind of not theological. Actually, it is perfectly theological. Because if your prayer is selfishly motivated, he's not going to answer that. In other words, if it's about entitlement, he's not going to answer that. And so what happens, listen to me, what happens when God doesn't give you what you want and you've been raised with entitlement? All of a sudden what happens is you have this mentality you blame God for stress, you blame God for pressure, you, you blame God for your experience, and you say things like, why is God letting this stress and pressure and disruption happen to me when I didn't want it or I didn't desire it? And all of a sudden, we turn our entitlement spirit to God, and we say, God, you're doing this to me. And then, we, and then they just walk away because they've been, they've been given this entitlement spirit and it's a temptation that has to be dealt with. Listen, when we have this mentality and all of us have had it, we blame God for any stress or pressure we experience. When we have these moments, listen, in, entitlement is about instant gratification. What's in it for me? This is a temptation of the next generation. I think we need to get back to teaching kids how to sacrifice. I think we need to get back and teach the next generation that's okay to say, no, you don't need those shoes right now. Come on, somebody. You're like, man, that sounds like an old school. That's old school. But it's going to break entitlement off of them so when they're 35 and 40, they're not blaming God for their problems. They're running to him for him to help them in the middle of the problem instead of saying, God, why don't you fix it? I'm just, why didn't you, why'd you even get me in this place? It's like a 35-year-old temper tantrum. 
Entitlement. That's temptation one. Sorry, I got stuck. Number two is that this next generation, you're tempted to define truth as you see it. Tempted to define truth as they see it. Most of the next generation has been taught there is no absolute truth. No absolute truth. The next generation, they've been taught to choose emotions over the truth of Scripture. If you're feeling it, it must be right. Wrong answer. We have a whole generation that don't even know who they are anymore because they've, they've fell into the temptation that they must live for God and live within this culture emotionally instead of basing it on the Scripture that is truth. And not even that, but basing it upon a person named Jesus. And so we've been taught, that they've been taught, I love what Craig Rochelle says, he calls it a Christian atheist. He says this, you believe in God, but live as if he doesn't exist. You believe in God, think about this as adults as well. You believe in God, oh yeah, I believe in God, he's the big guy in the sky, but you don't live like you believe it. So technically he calls it a Christian atheist. God wants our lifestyles to match what we believe. And so listen, we have to understand that the, the temptation to find truth, as they see, they take the traumas of the world, they take the traumas that they've been through, and they say, this is just the way it's supposed to be. So when they're abused young, and they go through relationships, and they're broken, and they're hurting, they think that's the way it's always supposed to be. A lot of times we're training our kids, and we don't even know it. I'm going to say it, you ready? Here it comes. We're training our kids for divorce, and we don't even know it. You're going, oh, well, that relationship didn't work out. Now go get another one. Well, you go get another one. No, go ahead and date. Go ahead, get over there. Get over there. Get another. Now, I'm not against dating, but listen to me. Be careful. You're training your kids that when it gets hard to leave relationships, instead of valuing relationships in a way that allows them to grow and flourish in relationships, in groups. Instead, you're teaching them, oh, all right, well, let me just date this person. You're good. You broke up. Broke heart. Go to the next one. We haven't always done that right either. And God knows when I was raised, I didn't have no Jesus in my life. So it, it, was, it, was, it was bad. Amen. It was bad. I didn't understand that. I didn't understand those things until I found Jesus in my life. We've got to be very careful that, that we help the generation understand that truth is a person. And his name is Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes into the Teaching them that in the middle of their battle, in the middle of their concern, in the middle of wondering what, what they are and who they are and their identity, that they can run to God's word. And God's word as a person will speak to them. And God will come and he will speak who they're supposed to be, their assignment. He will teach them how to hear them, him. He will teach them how to walk with him. He will teach them how to live in their purpose and their destiny. Jesus will do that, but we got to point them there. Number three, temptation that they focus on or are dealing with is this next generation is tempted to post, postpone adulthood. And here's, here's what I want you to understand. Parents, don't coddle your kids their whole life. Don't coddle your kids your whole life. A parent's, I wrote, I wrote this down, a parent's greatest priority is to gradually transfer a child's dependence away from them until it rests solely on God. That's our number one job, is to train our kids to hear God, to train our kids to walk with God. Listen, if they are coddled, they will postpone adulthood because they don't even know how to define adulthood anymore. 
like maybe when you were younger, it was like when you got your first car, you're like, I'm an adult, I can do this. You know, maybe it was you got your first job, and I'm an adult, I feel responsible. Not anymore. That ain't the way it works. Here, 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 uh, Tim Elmore wrote a book called The, the IY Generation, and he asked the question to young adults, uh, what, when do you become an adult? And this is what they said when they have their first child. When they have their first kid is when they become an adult. Now think about this for just a minute. They're prolonging marriage because they can live together and see if it works, and if it doesn't, they can just, it, it can dissolve. There's no commitment in it. This, this is generational. Listen, this is what they're dealing with. This is the temptations that they're fighting. Therefore, because marriage is prolonged, childbearing is prolonged. So they're, they're, they're having kids later. They're getting married later. Why is that? It's because this is a temptation of the enemy. They are prolonging being an adult. And if we coddle them and we don't teach them and love them and encourage them how to hear God, teach them about responsibility. This isn't a parenting series, but listen. Teach them about responsibility. Teach them how to sacrifice. All those sorts of things that we need to teach them. Those things break off of them. Listen, I want you to understand today that kids need to understand that real life starts now. It doesn't start when you have a baby. It doesn't start when you get a car. It doesn't start. Real life is going on right now no matter your age. And so, three temptations they experience. And I'll close with this. I believe there's one great strength about this generation that we need to tap into. This generation has the greatest strength. And I believe this greatest strength, if empowered by the Spirit of God, can override, listen to me, overrule, overpower, overcome all the other temptations and make them the most strategic generation for Christ in history. Let me say it again so I get some, get, get, hear, hear what I'm saying, is that there's a great strength within the next generation. And then if it's empowered by the Spirit of God, it can override, overrule, overpower, overcome all the temptations that we just listed and make them the most strategic generation for Christ in recent history. Here it is. You ready? Their greatest strength is you are, listen to me young people, you are the most cause-driven mission-minded generation ever in modern history. You are the most cause-driven, mission-driven, mission-minded generation in modern history. In other words, the reason they're not like the generation in front of them is because they don't just want to come sit. They want to do something. There is something of a cause that is on the inside of them. There is something in them that wants to make a difference. Young people, things bother you. Things bother you. If you're a teenager, young adult in this room, things bother you. Human trafficking issues that's going on in our world. Maybe you think about things like, man, there's kids over in Africa that don't have water. They don't have fresh water. There's stuff in your life that bothers you. There's a, there's a cause in your heart. And if we can allow and we can push into the strength of the next generation, I believe there's going to be thousands and thousands. Come on. Of them that will be rescued out of hell and put into their God-given purpose and overcome the temptations of the enemy 
you feel, listen, this next generation, you guys feel you have to do something about it. When you see a problem, there's something that begins to become a burden in you, and you want to step up. And I'm going to use the story of David and Goliath, and we got to close. But David and Goliath, David's going out, and he, he's got his cheese and crackers going down to, the, to feed his brothers, to tell them to go down, give them some cheese and crackers. And there's a battle going on. There's no battle going on. Army, Saul's army comes out and gets scared and runs back in the bushes when Goliath comes out. Saul's generation represents fear. But then there's another generation called the Davidic generation, a David generation, that, that, that they, don't, they don't need a ton of stuff. They just need a cause. And David walks up, and he's got the cheese and crackers, and he, he comes and says, hey, what's going on? And he hears Goliath. And he goes to Saul, and he says, hey, bro, listen, do you, do you hear what's happening? Old dude's over there barking about our God. Why aren't you doing anything about it? And this is what he tells Saul. Is there not a cause now, when you think cause, you think, well, this social activity or this social activity. No, 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 no. David was saying, is there not the word cause is the word debar. It literally means word from God. Is there not a word from God, a cause of why you're not taking down this Goliath? I believe in the next generation that there is a cause. It's not a social movement. It's a Word of God movement. It is a revelation movement. It is a movement where the Word of God is getting on the inside of them and God is burdening them with a cause and He's going to empower them to overcome every temptation so they can walk in their purpose. First Timothy 4.12 says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Hear me, young people. I believe in you. I believe in you. It says, don't let others look down on you, but set an example for the believers in speech. Don't wait for your mom and dad to go, go strong in worship. You do it. You're welcome in our service to raise your hands and worship Jesus. You're welcome to set the pace in our church of what it means to be on fire for God. Are you with me? Is the whole church with me? You, it's okay for you to set the, it's okay for you to bounce around like a pogo stick every once in a while because you love Jesus. You don't have to wait for fall retreat and summer camp to worship God. You can do it right here on Sunday mornings. Now, Pastor, that might get a little fanatical. Well, amen. Those young people are going to get off on you and, you know, your old crooked leg just might start doing something. Come on, somebody. Listen, Satan is lying to this generation that you are the church of tomorrow. And in some places, the church has lied to this generation. You're not the church of tomorrow, you're the church of today. You don't get in the church when you're 40. You say yes to Christ now at 13 years old. You're in the church, you are the church of today. The enemy's gonna stop lying to you. And, and so he starts to lie to them and telling them that they're the church of tomorrow. He's trying to prolong their destiny. You know why? Because he's nervous. There's a generation of the next generation of kids that are going to have a cause from Jesus that's going to fill their hearts. They're going to overcome temptation, and they're going to have a generation in front of them saying, we believe in you. We love you. We encourage you. We give you money, because you got it, to do what you got to do to fulfill the thing that God has put in your heart. 
and all of a sudden the enemy is pushed back in a generation because somebody took a stand against him. The only reason he's gaining ground is because the church is in default mode. We're not in aggressive mode. We're not in an aggressive posture. Satan is trying to talk this generation out of living for their cause by postponing real life for later. Real life is now. You are not up to bat next. You are up to bat now. And we believe in you. Bring the kids in if they're here. Bring them in. If they're here, bring them in. Bring them in. I want them to hear this if they're out there. Are they coming? I tried to go long enough for you guys to get them million children over there. Come on, somebody. Oh, they're coming in the sideway. Come on. Come on in here. Come on up here. Have a seat. Nope. Right on the front here. You, on the ground. On the ground. On the ground. Or on the steps. Wherever you want to sit. Just sit on the steps. Sit down. Whatever. You do what you want. I'm here. Have a seat. Sit. That's it. Listen to me. We're not just praying for them because they're going back to school. There's a greater assignment here than them going back to school. This church, this, this generation, you're not up to bat next. They're up to bat now. Listen to me, all you young people, all you sitting on the stage, all you teenagers out there, look at me for a minute. Hey, focus up here, up here. Hi. How's everybody? Doing good? You guys doing good? Listen, I want to encourage you today, and all you young people listening, young adults, listen to me. We just talked about you. We just talked about the great destiny God has for your life. Some of you might not understand this yet, but you will. God has a great destiny for all of you. And we want you to know we believe in you. And more importantly, here's what I want you to know, is that this church called Real Life Church, your mom and dad come to church here, most of you. Listen to me. This church called Real Life Church is your church. It's not just your mama and daddy's church. This is your church. So there's going to be a time where you're like, hey, I want to do this. I want to get involved here, and I want to serve here, and I want to do that. Guess what? Go for it. There's going to be ideas and dreams and things that God's going to place in your heart one day where you're going to come, and you're going to be 13 years old, and God's going to place a dream in your heart, and you're going to say, this is what I want to do. And God's going to place that dream in your heart, and guess what we're going to say? We believe in you. Go do it. How can we help you do it? Now think about this for just a minute. All of hell is nervous in this moment. Not because they're going back to school, but because we're identifying something that's greater than them just going back to school. The greatest asset that they have is their ability to fight for a cause. First Peter tells us this. 
You are a chosen generation, a chosen people, royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Psalm 145 verse 4 says this, generation after generation stands in all of your work. Each one tells stories of your mighty acts. Parents, hear me this morning. Here's what I want to say to you really quick. As your kids prepare for school, and we just talked. I had a talk, private meeting with your parents. You guys cool with that? Yeah, you're cool with it. He was like, yes, please. Please have one. But it was a good one. It was a good meeting. We wanted to encourage them. We want them to know what you're facing as a young person in the culture that you live in today. As you get older, you'll face new things, but God will help you overcome every one of them. So as a parent today, here's what I want you to take away, and this is this. Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone that you raised. That's how valuable the next generation is. It may not be what you did for the kingdom, but it might be somebody that you raised that did something greater than you ever thought possible with the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word and a cause burdened in their hearts. Final story. Peter, before we pray, Peter had denied Jesus three times. And he went walking on the seashore and he just finally said, you know what, I'm going back to fishing. He didn't believe Jesus was going to resurrect, so on and so on. He says, I'm just going to go back to fishing. And Jesus is on the beach. And he just got done fishing. He's sitting around the fire and he's making some fish. And as he's making the fish, all of a sudden, the Bible says that far off, Jesus comes walking on the beach. And he's walking on the beach. Peter doesn't really recognize who it is. And as he gets closer, he recognizes that it's Jesus. Now, Peter had just ended up in a place where he had denied Jesus. He had begun to walk in sin, and he, he started to live this lifestyle, and he went back to his normal ways instead of the cause that Jesus had put on the inside of him. And all of a sudden, in this moment, can you imagine what Peter was thinking? Man, I'm a failure. Nobody believes in me. Here I am sitting here by myself, and here comes Jesus, the one that I deny. Now i got to face him. I wonder what he's going to say. And in this moment, all of a sudden, Jesus comes to him. And he doesn't condemn him. He doesn't tell him how bad of a person he was. He asked him a question. He says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, hey, you know I love you. And listen to what Jesus says. He does this three times. He redirects Peter back to the original purpose. The original purpose was that he would change the world. And he said, if you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my lambs. If you love me, feed my sheep. All of a sudden, Jesus starts to reiterate his assignment, not his failure. Come on, somebody. They don't need to be told time and time again when they failed. They know when they failed. They need to be told, we believe in you, and what you did is not who you are. Who God says you are is who you are, and eventually, you're going to understand who God says you are. Come on, somebody. Maybe you're a parent, and you feel like a failure in the room. Let me tell you, Jesus is going to walk on 
the, the beach of your story and he's going to come talk to you. And you know what he's going to do? He's not going to tell you that you're a failure. He's going he's to raise you up and he's going to equip you. And he, you're going to raise the next generation and you're going to raise some people and these young people that will be world changers and go further and do more than you ever thought you could ever do. So let's pray over these young people. If you're, a, if, you're a, if you're a teenager, so kids, what I need you to do, I need you to just get on the floor, face me. If you're a teenager, college, young adult, if you're a teacher, administrator working in the schools, uh, we're going to work with your parents on following instructions. Down to the bottom. Just kidding. If you're a teenager, come up front, stand behind. Uh, the youngins here, we want to pray for you. If you're a young adult or college student, go back to school. Angelie, she's leaving for the military. Where are you at? Where's she at? Come on up here. We're going to pray for you as well. Just come on up here with the crowd here, and uh, we're going to pray for you. Here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to pray a prayer, and then we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing this song called Gratitude, all right? And we're going to sing it. So you, you guys can come on out. That's your cue. We're going to sing it. Come on. And we're going we're gonna to sing this song together, and I want you to worship Jesus, right? Just the words will be up here on the screen. I want you to worship Jesus. If you feel like you want to raise your hands, please do. And this is you acknowledging Jesus is really good in your life, and he's going to do something magnificent through you. And so we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for teachers. Any teachers? Any teachers in the room? Anybody teachers going back to school? Yep, come on in. Anybody else? Anybody else a teacher? Principals and administrators and all that. If you're, if you're a homeschool parent and you are the teacher of your home, you probably should be up here. We, you need some special grace. Amen. They're with you all the time. And so we want to pray for you as well. And so let's pray. Let's pray, everybody. Father, we pray today in the name of Jesus for this next generation. We pray today. Church, I want you to stand. Let's all stand. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We stand behind our young people. We pray for them today, that, Lord God, and we decree and declare over them, we believe in them. Lord God, as you needed affirmation, Lord God, and you needed influence, Father God, we thank you today that as we pray over them, that this won't just be a good school year, this will be a great school year. We pray in the name of Jesus, we come against, in the name of Jesus, the enemy of their soul, the temptations of culture. We pray today, Lord, that you would raise them up to be world changers. We pray today, God, that they will be, as Daniel said, 10 times better than all the rest in wisdom, understanding, and stature. We pray today in the name of Jesus, every relationship that's toxic would be broken. Every identity agenda of the enemy would be broken in the name of Jesus. They are who you say they are. They're what you've called them to be. And so, Lord, I thank you today that no weapon formed against them will prosper in the name of Jesus, that, Lord God, they'll excel in their school. They'll excel as light and salt in the earth when they go to school. We thank you today that in the name of Jesus, that for the teachers that are here and the administrators and the principals, we pray today a special grace and anointing upon them to lead, to be those that will set the example, for pray for kids when they need prayer, to love on kids when they need loved on, to be an encouragement when they need to be uh, encouraged. We pray this year, God, that Father God, in the name of Jesus, for no disruptions during their school year. We pray today in Jesus' name for a smooth school year. In the name of Jesus, we pray today, Lord God, that you would allow them as teachers to walk 
in the gifts of the Spirit, that they'll know in their inner man that, God, they're not just there to administrate or to teach a subject, but they're there to love on those kids. And I thank you that you'll use them. And Lord God, as the Holy Spirit will give them gifts that will, that will speak to them the words of wisdom and the word of knowledge and the discerning of spirits. When a kid comes into the room, that, Lord God, may be down or maybe having a rough day, that, Lord, your Holy Spirit will speak to them and they'll spend some time with some extra love on those kids, some extra encouragement on those kids. Father, and I thank you today that, Lord God, when the moment happens, God, when they're able to share Jesus, I thank you today in Jesus' name for kids being encouraged in the things of God. We pray for our students that they would be light. Lord, we pray for our high schoolers and our middle schoolers. Lord, that this culture, this onslaught against them in this season, we pray against the, the tactics and the schemes of the enemy in the name of Jesus, and we pray that this year would be their best year. We pray they'd be raised up as light. Lord, I break off depression off of the next generation. I break off anxiety off the ex next generation. I break off fear off the next generation. That, Lord God, they'll walk in the Spirit of God. They'll walk in the love of God. They'll walk in the fruit of God. They'll walk in the, the Spirit of God. And I thank you today in Jesus' name that depression has no place. Anxiety has no place. In Jesus' name, no false identity is allowed in, in Jesus' name. We pray for Ainsley as she goes to the military. We thank you today in the name of Jesus for a hedge of protection around her. We ask, Lord, for the Holy Spirit to be with her. Lord, we come against fear and nervousness in Jesus' name. We thank you that you're raising her up to be a light in the name of Jesus. We pray, God, that, God, she would surrender all and that she would walk with you in this next season. We pray, God, as she surrenders that you'll use her. And, God, we pray, God, that she'll be ten times better than all the rest in wisdom, understanding, and stature. I pray for an open door for our young adults. I pray for those going back to college. I pray, God, for those that are young professionals in our church as well. I pray, Lord, that you would open doors for them. I pray, Lord God, that in this next season, as they're in college or they're young professionals, Lord, they begin their career. I thank you that in the name of Jesus that there'll be open doors, open doors of opportunity, open doors of occupation and career and calling, but also opportunities to share the love of God. And so we raise them up today in the name of Jesus, and we pray a hedge, a cocoon of the presence and the protection of the Lord over them and we decree and declare today in Jesus name no weapon formed against them will prosper and they will walk in all that you've ordained for them to walk in in this year in Jesus name Amen come on let's worship thanks again for listening to our podcast be sure to connect with us on social media the RLC app and online at livereallife.com 